Hello and welcome to episode 315 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the film director Ryan Hendrick. Ryan is known for a number of films, but on today's episode, we mainly focus on his brand new release, the horror called Mercy Falls. It's a brilliant film. It's made on quite a low budget, but the production, the acting and everything about it really blew me away. And I urge you, as always, to go and check it out. You'll not be disappointed. And truly, it's brilliant. And I love British filmmakers. I love getting the chance to sit down and talk about the art and craft of filmmaking. And Ryan gives some amazing advice on today's interview. So stick around for that in a couple of minutes time. In true typical Mark and Me fashion, an episode only came out less than 24 hours ago. I was joined by the singer Cat Leon from the amazing Holy Wars. One of my favourite interviews of the year. I can't say the response has been incredible because it's only been out 24 hours. But what I will say is as you're listening to this, it's almost hit a thousand views on YouTube already, which is amazing. And if you are into YouTube and you want to watch any of these interviews, there's now 10 available on my YouTube channel. So please check it out. But today it's all about filmmaking and Ryan Hendrick. So I want to get straight to the interview. So here's me and Ryan talking all things film. So Ryan, thank you for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. What I do, Ryan, with all guests that come on the podcast, I've done over 300 episodes now, uh, directors, writers, people in bands, but they all get the same first question. Uh, I like to take it right back to the very start. And when you were a kid, what was those first films that you remember watching, maybe with your parents or friends, that made you fall in love with film? Um, It was the old uh, Roger Moore Bond films. Oh, classics. Yeah. Uh, my granddad had a taped off the telly um, copy of uh, Octopussy, which uh, I think we wore out <laughs> along with uh, another similar copy of Mary Poppins. I think those two are probably two of the earliest films that I remember and the sort of the imagination of them kind of just caught me um, by surprise. Uh, and then probably around about the same time I kind of, sat down and forced to watch old reruns of Doctor Who in the early 90s. Uh, and that kind of hit my imagination and I was off, you know. So I suppose, a weird, a weird uh, collected collection of Mary Poppins, Octopussy and Doctor Who. <laughs> it's given me a right trip down memory lane already. It's really nostalgic mm. because I remember going to my granddad's house and I'd be allowed to watch his, um, I was going to say DVDs, his VHSs, mm. and they would all be handwritten, you know, 007 Octopussy or Goldfinger or whatever it would be. Yeah, yeah. And um, in strict big bold, like, do not tape over, which, <laughs> you know, like, do not record any cartoons or Thundercats on this. Like, this is your granddad's, like, pride and joy. Absolutely. God damn of the days. People are listening now like, what do you mean I don't understand? Like, what's this thing that you can't record over? But you'd even break <laughs> the plastic little tab so you couldn't record over it as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's when it got really serious. Like, I'm definitely keeping this one. Yeah, <laughs> proper technical. <laughs> so, I mean, Doctor Who, Octopussy, uh, these are great foundations. But was it later kind of during school or college that you thought you'd want to get into the world of filmmaking? Um. I think I always kind of in the back of my mind wanted to do it and just didn't know really how to go about it because I don't come from a family that are, that are across the, genre, the the industry. 
typically is a lot a lot of my uh cousins have ended up in the industry as well not completely unrelated um um if you pardon the pun um but um we've all ended <laughs> up working in di- a bunch of us have ended up working in different areas as part of the industry but uh, we don't really come from a family of it um i had a great uncle that uh i was told about later on worked on um the rocky built sets for like the rocky movies and home alone oh wow movies things back in the day um some of the family moved to la but um that but that's the only connection to the movie business you know building furniture for for rocky um but um so it was really just the imagination and just obsessed with um just sort of telling stories i mean i think one of the earliest apart from you know writing little one-page scripts i think the first sort of production if you were if you will um was um uh, you know those old ghetto blasters that had like, two different tape decks. And yes. If you hit play on one, you hit record on the other. It gave you a direct feed. Um, and actually, I was, in a, I was in a friend's house recently, uh, and they actually have the exact model that I was like, "Hang on a minute!" And it brought back so many memories. But yeah, we I used to record little audio plays on this little ghetto. That's blaster, amazing. Uh, and sort of trying to edit in music and different bits and bobs. So the kind of the discipline for it and the kind of the interest in that kind of editing together a, a narrative was always kind of just there. But um, eventually one of my aunts married a theatre director and actor, uh, which was which kind of blew my mind. Uh, and he kind of said the immortal words at one point, well, you're just going to have to go out and just make something, to which he became very unpopular with my folks because then I started asking for a camcorder for Christmas. <laughs> and then that was it that, um, you know just starting to, just figuring it out I didn't, I didn't go to film school I didn't, um, so it was kind of very much self-taught and just understanding the discipline of it um, and we'd be out running through the woods of a Saturday morning with my my uncles and whoever else I could draft in in their, their Sunday best getting mud all over them running through the woods trying to make a little film uh, and just yeah, just built it up from there so you'd make one it was crap, and you're like, okay, how do I make it better? And then you kind of go through what, why, why doesn't it look like an actual film? And it's that kind of comparable and learning about the kind of the intricacies of uh, of of filmmaking, uh, and just slowly just building it up. But wasn't it so different? And I don't, I mean this with full respect, but so much more difficult back then to do that because you wouldn't have like some editing software on your mac or pc that you could then chop things up you would literally reshoot and then try and line it up and physically chop it or yeah you know line up another tape to then put onto a master like it's it's an art in itself yeah i mean the first time i properly learned about editing was on a tape machine. I mean, I'm not that old, but um, I'd uh, started doing um, work experience in a local sort of um, place called GMAC, which is like the sort of media access centre where I used to rent out equipment and make community films and different things. And they had like they had like the proper Avid machines, but they didn't, didn't want to give that to the volunteers because you know proper paying customers were paying much better money to come and come in and use the Avid. So they'd put you on the one that wasn't busy, which was like the old linear tape machine. And it's literally re- to you put in your VHS tape because I'd shot the film on VHS. You put it in there into one deck, and you put another one into another deck, which it's going to go onto. And you literally have the wheels, and you kind of you find your point. You try to line it up. Tape, yeah, but you go and you hit go for it, and then it will transfer that little clip across to the other tape, and that's how you made it. Um, but yeah, so just it was really interesting to kind of learn all that stuff. But the minute they kind of said 
they showed you the basics. This is this is how you do it in out cut good da, da. and you're just like mind blown. It's like this all makes perfect sense. Off I go. Um, yeah, love editing, love it. So, kind of, was your family supportive if you were the kind of only one within your household, or you know, you said like the biggest fear was, oh, mom, dad, I want a video camera. Were they like? You're never going to make a living out of this. Where they kind of like get a get a real <laughs> job, go to university, and then if this hobby takes off, son, you know. No, no. Luckily, they were incredibly supportive, and I never had that. Um, I think it was just a yeah, very supportive. But I, th- I think because no one had that sort of background, yeah, uh, there, there was a, a limit to that in terms of okay, we want to support you, but we're not sure what you should do. So it was very much kind of left to go, you know go do what you want to do. We'll help you yeah. wherever you need it. Um, and yeah, just, I just had to go figure it out. But the minute you're thrown into an environment with like minds and, you know, other people in the industry, people that actually make films, you know, you're, you're kind of just drawn to these people and you kind of just soak up everything they've got. Um, all their little tidbits, all their advice, and you just kind of just want to watch what's going on. So I was quite lucky to get onto sets of various films um in glasgow um and just kind of watch what was going on and just go i could do that so was it then a case that obviously i've seen your career so far and was it that you wanted to basically do a lot of shorts to get into it to kind of experiment to see how it would be to work with a crew beyond set and then kind of get ready and build up to one of your first big features um initially no it was the opposite way around um yeah i had um I'd made a couple of amateur sort of features when I was a lot younger, uh, just with friends and family, and they were bad. Um, and I went and trained as an actor, and when I came out of uh, training, um, a bunch of us got together and made a feature film. Um, and it was kind of the fir- probably the first time of taking it seriously. Um, and we were trying to build on that, but it kind of... It, but, you know, what we realised when we were making that film, apart from making lots of mistakes was the amount of time it takes to, to do that, especially when you're working with literally no budget and very little resources. So we made this one feature, and then we jumped straight into a short film just to take what we just figured out and put it to the test quickly to see if we were right. Uh, and that that short film took off and got nominated for a BAFTA. And it was like, oh, okay. Um, but then the focus went to trying to make another feature, and then eventually... Um, it it was t- it was we were trying to do it traditionally, uh, yeah. finance through the normal routes, and it just, we kept on failing. And it was like, why is that? And then eventually, it was like, okay, we're going to have to do a proof of concept, and so you make it. So we ended up ma- we ended up making a couple shorts. Uh, one was a proof of concept for a romantic comedy that we wanted to make, um, and then I made this other one um, just to get away from that genre because I found myself in this weird, you know, made one six. Uh, one uh, sort of Christmas rom-com called yeah. Perfect Strangers, which was a short film which led to Lost at Christmas. And we, uh, for some reason, I get pigeonholed uh, by the funders as the rom-com guy. I mean, literally, <laughs> one of the funders literally said, tur- they turned down Sundown and they, and they called them for a meeting to explain why. I went, okay. So we went for the meeting and they said, well, why did you turn down? I said, well, we didn't know why you wanted to make this emotional drama because you're the rom-com guy. I said, I mean, one 20-minute short film. It's like, come on. Cursed for life. Uh, yeah, and I've, I've, I kind of always kind of, I've always been very aware of that. Um, so we made this emotional drama. That did quite well. But that was kind of, 
bringing together the kind of the team and the approach that we make the films now. Uh, when we made Sundown, it had the same DP uh, and the same kind, of, same type of crew, same kind of um, production ethos and equipment, etc., uh, and sort of production value. So, um, but from that, I've been very careful to make sure I don't get pigeonholed. So when we ended up going back and developing Perfect Strangers into a feature film, which is what Lost at Christmas was, I was very much aware that people were starting to see me as the Christmas guy. It was like, okay, let's do it. What can we do? Completely different. That <laughs> Work still... once a year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's uh, brilliant. You're like the Mariah Carey of film. I know. <laughs> Bring him out. It's Christmas time. Well, uh, well, that's the funny thing with that film, because that's what happens now. Because um, yeah. uh, the, the BBC licensed um, Lost at Christmas uh, after the first year. And they kept, they had it for three years and they've just renewed it to go again. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's basically hitting Christmas telly every year. And I love that's, it. That, that's fab. Uh, and that was, you know, I was talking to my wife the other night about it. It was like, kind of, I can't believe that's happened. And so like, well, how is that not the plan? And well, what's the plan? I just don't think we'd pull it off. <laughs> so it's, it's bizarre. It's a, the gift that keeps on giving, but to make sure that um, I could do other things um, and just to challenge myself to do something completely different with Mercy Falls and, that's why we kind of went for the, the survival horror and just something completely different. I was going to say it, it leads nicely to talking about Mercy Falls, which we're also here to promote today. And I was thinking to myself earlier, like what a jump from this family, you know, lost at Christmas, real feel good film to this survival kind of horror elements of Mercy Falls. And I was thinking to myself, now you've explained, you know, you didn't want to be this one guy that was doing family <laughs> features or this, but did you just feel like you just wanted to prove that you were not that guy and you had this kind of fear and thriller and horror elements in you as well that you just wanted to get out there? Absolutely. I mean, my earlier films were quite dark, yeah. actually. Uh, I never started off making romantic comedies like the, like the, the, the two very early amateur films and then that first feature years ago when I came out of uh, uh, training as an actor. Uh, they were all very, very dark psychological thrillers. Um, and it was very much kind of tapping back into that. And I was like, well, that's where it started. So let's go back and look. So I went back and I looked at these films. I, I was restoring them so they were kind of preserved, even though no one's ever going to see them. <laughs> um, and I was watching this uh, sort of Slash in the Woods film, which I'd made very early on. And I was I could see where everything, all the mistakes were and all that kind of stuff and why it's an amateur film. But... I could, but watching it, I went, "Oh, I see. I remember what I was trying to say here," and I was like, "Oh, that's actually not bad. There's some good ideas here." So almost like kind of took the 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 building blocks of that film and took that and developed it into what became Mercy Falls. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like I have an eclectic taste in films. I like all sorts of genres. So I kind of want to display that in my in my my workload, really. That's so, fair. Yeah, and I think it, I think it's absolutely fine, and I do want to be able to kind of move around, tell different types of stories, and ultimately be able to come back, because I I really do like doing Christmas romantic comedies, and I intend to do another one. I also intend to do another thriller or another horror film at some point as well. So it's kind of just figuring out um, um, where strategically is the right the right place to be, because it's really about every time you make a film, you're trying to make the film the best you can, but ultimately. You're also thinking about the next film. You want to make sure you're able to get the next one. Um, and there is an aspect of throwing mud at the wall and see what sticks as well. 
Um, but it was an opportunity to do something completely opposite. Um, and we are quite a small company as well, so it did have to have a sort of commercial focus to it. Of course. And when you're working in an indie film and a very low budget, the two obvious genres are horror or Christmas. So it was, you know, where are we going to go? Let's do the opposite. So how was it working on this project? So with Mercy Falls, was it quite a long process to get over the line? Was it quite hard to get greenlit or because it was on a smaller production and not a crazy stupid budget, was it kind of quite in safe hands to get there? Yeah, I mean, it kind of happened really quickly. Um, we found ourselves in a position um, shortly after Lost at Christmas came out of being able to go again yeah. with the same group of investors. Um, and we could, we're starting to see Lost at Christmas uh, sort of starting to, it was out there, it was starting to bring in some money. And it's like, okay, let's, you know, we're, um, we're supposed to be making, making content. Um, we need to get back out there as quickly as possible. And we were just able to go. Um, so the whole production process came together very, very quickly, possibly a bit too quick. Um, we kind of did sort of charge into it a little bit. Um, uh, but that's kind of part of the challenge, really. It's like if you get the opportunity to go, you got to go. You can't sit around and wait. Um, and just, you know, the stars aligned with everybody. And we were just able to to do it in the way that we did it. Um and we shot we shot it in March. We could have done it in summer, but you know we have a problem with midges up here. Um, but typically up here as well, you, if you shoot slightly out of season in Scotland, you can bring in um, a really talented crew as well. Um, so not going for summer means you get uh, you get better people in the film. <laughs> I was going to say as well because um, the film itself, like ninety percent of it, was shot in the kind of rural outdoors, and I was thinking to myself. Was there a lot of challenges with that? Were you kind of like, oh, yeah. you know, you can never predict the weather, especially where you are. But um, <laughs> I wonder with all the equipment and transporting and everything, it must have been an uphill struggle always, like planning each day of how we're going to do this and what part of the location you're going to go to. And I just thought to myself that there must be some real big challenges in that production. Yeah, yeah, there was a few. I mean, quite a lot of them we tackled in prep and we kind of, we knew where a lot of the locations were, so planning access and different things was um, very much at the front of our minds. And that's something you try and do, and it's kind of tricky because you're balancing trying to have this sort of wild look that you're lost in the middle of nowhere, but you need to have an, a very accessible road and it can't be too far away from every, where everyone's staying, etc. So there's all these kind of logistical challenges because you, know, you don't have much time, so you, what you don't want to do is waste time with getting into location. Um, a couple of locations were a bit challenging. I mean, there was one location um, where we did the rock face, which was very close to our road. It was in a field. But um, uh, get, getting permission to film there was easy. Getting a hold of the person who had the key to the gate <laughs> was a completely different thing. And we actually never ended up getting that key. Uh, so the night before, the unit manager had to kind of pull strings with a, a friend in the traffic department I love the this. council to kind of come and close the road or put in like temporary lights like it was like roadworks or something uh, so we could park up the vans next to the, the, the gate uh, they'd seal it off with temporary traffic lights and they'd direct traffic um, allow us to unload for an hour and then they'd move all that away and then they'd come back at the end of the day um, and get us out but that all had to be booked and it, had to, it was expensive and stuff like that is a pain, is a pain for that but you know they come back at a certain a certain time, so you know you can't run over that day. 
So it adds that extra pressure that you have to get it done and get it done by a certain time because you've got to have the vans roll back up to close wow. the road down and get the stuff out again. Um, a logistical so, nightmare. Absolutely. I mean, that wasn't the worst one. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the only other really challenging one was uh, the cave location at the end. Um, yeah. it, it was further north, which was fine, but it was a, off a single track road at the side of a lock in a farmer's field. After, well, there's been a lot of rainfall, so it was quite muddy. But then the cave itself is a, a an abandoned Victorian mine about 100 feet up this steep hill about that. Crazy. Uh, and I think the first time we tried, we were there, the quad bikes couldn't get up the hill. And the plan was to put all the gear in this trailer in the back of a quad bike and take it up the hill. And we got there and it was inaccessible. So that basically meant we were there, we're going to do it. So we had to basically lug all this, all these heavy cases up this hill. Uh, fortunately, when we came back, um, we'd figured it out and, uh, you know, they had these sort of all-terrain vehicles, like these sort of eight-wheeled quad bikes with these ridiculous trailers and those tractors and it's sort of like a military operation getting this stuff up there. Uh, but stuff like that's always challenging, but um, it was it was worth it. But there wasn't too much of that. We were quite lucky most of the time that everything was fairly accessible and close to a road. But, um, but the, that's the good thing about Scotland. You can drive 20 minutes from the city and it feels yeah. like you're in, you're in the wilderness. I think anyone that's listening right now that's thinking of getting into filmmaking is now like, I'm not bothering doing this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to quit. Like This sounds like a a real, well, literally an uphill challenge. But um, Well, most people are sensible and do like a, in a, a, studio. a very low-budget film in a week, <laughs> in a one-room one setting, you know. It's Make it easy for yourself. But you know, yeah, it's, you just want, you want the production value because when you go into a low-budget film, you know you have challenges because of the amount of money you have. Yeah. So you're trying to add to that, and the great the great thing about the Scottish outdoors is that it brings so much production value. It, you know, it's priceless, and it adds so much to the the, the value of the film as well. Um, so yeah, uh, aye, tricky, but yeah, worth it. <laughs> is there advice you give to people that are listening? I do have a lot of people that are at film school or listen to these directors' stories or writers and want to get into the world, but it's it's a tough one to kind of make a name for yourself in, isn't it? Yeah, it's really tough. Um, so many people obsess um, with um, the traditional route of I'll go to film school, yeah. I'll make a couple of short films, I'll enter short film funding schemes at the BFI or Creative Scotland or whatever, uh, and then I'll develop that way and do all the schmoozing and all that, and then I'll eventually I'll get a feature film made. Um, that works for about maybe one percent of those that are chasing it um and uh, yeah so uh, and so many i think it's i've seen particularly in my generation i've seen so many filmmakers incredibly talented folk that um have kind of been left by the wayside i mean uh i know one particular filmmaker uh who's just released a film and it's, it's a cracking film that he's made on his own for next to no money i think he's in the film as well and he shot himself uh, it's doing really well at film festivals but um, I mean I think that guy is has applied 17 times to the same short film fund and 17 times has been rejected wow. and it's like it's like come on it's like recognise um, potential talent of tomorrow um, so the, but there's a lot of people applying for it at the same time so I think my advice is that's great if you're if you're going down that route and it works for you that's great do it 
but don't let that be your only avenue. Get out there and make something because there's there's no um uh what's the word there? there's no um substitute for experience yeah. and just figuring it out. Because you know, if you're gonna make something for a, for next to nothing yourself on an iPhone or a DSLR or whatever, you're you're fight, you're making the mistakes and you're learning from them, you're adapting and you're doing it on your own dime as opposed to making those mistakes on someone else's once you get there. Uh, because once you get there, you get one or two cracks at the whip. Um, so you've got, you know, you really want to be in the best possible place before someone gives you a shot. I love it. I think that's the best way and learn from your mistakes. You know, I, I go out there and mm. try different mics and cameras for doing that in interviews and some things have gone disastrous, but you know, the next time I know not to do that and it works and you learn these little exactly. tricks along the way. So what's the problem advice. solving? It's been able to kind of think in the moment. You can do all the planning in the world, but on the day, challenges will be thrown at you, whether it's, you know, but, uh, camera failure or someone falls and bangs their head or there's bad weather or there's, the catering doesn't show up. Or not, no, I'm not seeing that happen. Um, but, you know, that, but, you know, that of kind course. of stuff, you know, so many different things can go wrong that you plan, that you plan for, but still you get, you get taken by surprise on and you still have to adapt in the moment. So it's just... Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's learning from your mistakes and just being fluid. My my final question for you today is, uh, and I ask this to all guests that come on, um, the final piece of music that's played after today's interview is chosen by the guests. So I've done over 300 episodes, but every guest gets to choose the last song. It could be a piece of music or a band that you love or just a song that means a lot to you. It's not easy, I'm putting you on the spot, uh, but is there a song that you absolutely adore that after today's interview is all edited and ready for the world to listen to? plays oh, out and you're like yep that's the one. Oh, you've got me there oh let's think let's have a good think about that um and you're not allowed to email me in a week's time you've got to do it today when <laughs> <laughs> you've got it down right to now. 50 and then down to 10 absolutely i'm kind of i'm looking at, i've got my itunes playlist open in front of me i'm just kind of i'm looking what's 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 a good what's a good one um you know what um you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a cliched Scottish filmmaker. I'm gonna say the story by Runrig. Wow! Is it just because that's the one that came to your heart before any other, or you just want to be the obvious? <laughs> uh, no, no, that is one that, that is very close to my heart. Uh, absolutely, that's a, that is one of a handful that are uh, regularly inspiring me. That's beautiful. Our time is up, and I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. Um, the world in filmmaking is smaller than I realise. I've learnt that a lot, and I'm sure our paths will cross again at a film festival or Absolutely. a screening, uh, and I'd love to carry on and do more talking, especially in the near future when you uh, obviously have an announcement on your next project. Um, but yeah, sure. thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure to have you on. No, it's been a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Ryan. What a lovely guy. So ambitious, so warm and easy to talk to and just a delight. And I want to say a massive thank you for taking the time to come on the Mark and Me podcast. And as I mentioned at the start of today's interview, the film Mercy Falls is available now. So go and check it out. I guarantee you'll absolutely love it. And as always, let me know on email or Facebook, Twitter or Instagram what you thought. Because I love seeing people's feedback from a film, TV or book that you've discovered via Mark and Me.
Also, as always, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please share this. It costs you guys nothing to do at home and spreads the word. Over 313 episodes out there now for people to listen to. All free and they'll always be free. But in return, just keep on sharing. It's so simple and really goes a long way. And I have mentioned, and I'm pushing this a lot at the moment, I've launched a brand new YouTube channel and I'm loving it. It feels like a whole new lease of life for Mark and me and it's so exciting and the response is insane. So if you want to check out any of these interviews, literally jump on YouTube, type in Mark and me and watch them now. It really goes a long way and hit that thumbs up, hit the subscribe button and share these as well. Before I go, I want to give a big shout out to the sponsors of Mark and Me. Firstly, richestsounds.com. If you're in the market for an amazing brand new TV or Blu-ray player or hi-fi system, go on richestsounds.com and those guys will be the best out there, I guarantee it. And also, the best book company in my opinion that's out there, the Folio Society. If you want to go and get yourself an edition of one of your favourite books, They do by far the best and I really mean that and I'll post some pictures in the next few days of some prizes that I'm giving away thanks to those guys. Thanks again for listening. You're going to be getting brand new episodes over the next few days. It's really chaotic at the moment and there's so much to bring you. So until then, look after yourself, take care and I'll speak to you all very soon.
Inside of you 